You're listening to The Pull Us Podcast with Chris Poirier and Hector Mirai, a bi-weekly show about how comics, pop culture, and faith affect culture at large. This is part of the Love Thy Nerd Podcast Network. Greetings, true believers, and welcome to Episode 7 of The Pull List Podcast. Joining me on this adventure of capes and cowls is the one and only Hector. Say hello to the lovely people, Hector. Hi, that was a rather grand intro. Go on. <laughs> I know. It, I, I really wanted to do an excellent intro this time was, because my voice is just total garbage this week because I'm getting over a cold. So congratulations. The next 45 minutes should be beautiful in your earbuds, and I apologize now. That was a, that was a great intro, though. Go on. I, I'm really trying to up the game just a little bit. So I see but level we up. truly Yeah, I know. Level up. Get the extra points there. Plus one in podcasting. So we have a great show for you today. We are mixing things up here once again, and we want to give you all a high level view of what comics really knocked it out of the park in 2018, or at least in our humble opinion. But before we get to that part of the show, we just want to remind everyone that we're not alone on this podcasting journey, but we're part of a larger network of podcasts and cool things for nerdy, awesome people. And that's with a group of folks called Love Thy Nerd. And with them, you can also hear Humans of Gaming, which covers games, developers, and what drives folks in creating all those cool content that we can enjoy either on our TV screens or on our tabletops. Chris and Drew do an awesome job of doing interviews over there. So if you're into that kind of thing, definitely give them a listen. But if you want to laugh, love, and learn a little bit about just anything generally nerdy, we also have the Free Play podcast where you can hear Bubba, Matt, and Kate just talk about all the wonderful nerdy things and all things that drive us in community. So be sure to check us all out over at lovethynerd.com. We're excited to be here. You know, this is episode seven, so we're rolling along down the track here. Um, so we're glad that folks were with us. So Hector, it was 2018. We'll get to that in a minute because yep. there were a couple pretty awesome books in the last couple of weeks. So what you've been pulling, what you read. All right. Well, out the gate, the best thing I've read in a hot, hot minute is a uh, Batman sixty two, um, yeah, no, definitely. Uh, it is Tom King teamed up with his co worker on uh, Mister Miracle. Who is that? That's Mitch uh, Gerard's. M- yep. Mitch Gerard's. Um, which, if you've read Mister Miracle, which you should, um, it's it's not only great writing, but the visuals are stunning, especially because it's playing with the story that's dealing with mind issues and you know subconscious and things like that and the entire issue of batman 62 is batman waking up in a situation uh where he is being tortured by mr pig but he is obviously or professor big professor big yeah pig i don't know i was pig i was pyg i always get the you know prefix wrong there um but he's being tortured by a pig but it's obviously not what's actually going on and it's dealing with subconscious and psyche. And it's one of my favorite things that I've seen a lot of different writers tackle is Batman's ability to be able to deal with himself even when he's mentally down. Like um, Grant Moore. Yeah, no, he was totally in his head, which was great. And it is Professor Pig. Well done. Uh, Bat Grant Morrison did it a lot during the um, Rest in Peace arc. Um, we saw Scott Snyder do some of it after uh, Bunny Batman, um, and this is this is one of the best representations of dealing with one of your own subconsciouses I've seen in a while. Um, plus, we don't get enough pig, and um, it was great. I don't want to put any spoilers on the issue or anything, but one of the things that I've heard people complain about with Tom's writing um, in my local comic book groups and things like that is that they hate that he doesn't that he'll hit you with a cliffhanger and then leave it alone for a couple weeks. Um, <laughs> right. Like a couple issues ago, like, you know, a solid month ago, uh, Thomas Wayne attacked the Batcave. Um, Flashpoint Batman. Spoiler. That's man. That's a month ago <laughs> <laughs> for y'all. Y'all, y'all are slow. Um, but Thomas Wayne attacked the Batcave and it's been left there for a solid month with nothing else picking it up. Um, and so we really, like when I started reading this issue, I'm like, oh no, they're not going to deal with that. But it, it, it does pleasantly touch on everything it needs to. So 
it was just that great of an issue um, for me. Um, any thoughts on Actually, that? Actually, you Oh yeah, no, it was definitely on my list of as I was going through stuff, I was like, okay, where where are we going? Are we gonna finally see the Thomas thing yeah. play out? So I was excited and of course Pig I knew was in this and I was like, same thing. I agree that that character's underutilized. Um and they they went hard and heavy with Pig, Pig is sadistic. Um <laughs> and yeah, so this this one's a little not for the faint of heart because uh wow, um right <laughs> but but uh I I appreciate that still because that's how twisted that character is and they even pulled back into some of his uh w- where that comes from and the Greek mythology of where he pulls his actual name from and what it actually means and I'm blanking on it at the Pygmalion. moment but yeah yeah and I did just I didn't even realize or remember the oh that yeah thing. Yeah, it's a super it's a super deep character that's really really messed up in the head, um, which is a great use in this particular um, style that King went for here. Yeah, of that psychological um, piece, which is the entire issue. And for me, this is one of the things that I love about Tom King is he's done things similar to this in this run, where most of the dialogue is actually Batman talking to himself. Um, but the art. So we. <laughs> Right. And it the the art supports the story, but it's also that inner dialogue of, oh, I have to do this or I have to do that. It's Batman's thought process of how he problem solves. And those have been some of my favorite issues is that I'm not sure we advanced a ton of plot. <laughs> but at the same time, I feel like I absorbed a lot of information. This plot advanced and... like an episode of Dragon Ball Z, like the early seasons. <laughs> So no, I th- this one just kind of caught me by surprise in the middle of that pile because usually when King does something that makes critics stop for a moment, it finds its way onto the interwebs. But I didn't see a lot of stuff before this issue, so I was glad I got to absorb it without any outside knowledge. So if you haven't read Batman sixty two yet, well then we we've ruined some of it for you. But Not you much. should go pick it up and. Yeah still flip through it because it's, it's mind bending and Mitch just Mitch his art next to Tom King's writing. Those two are just clicking. The Mr. Miracle thing definitely has made them really good at being able to draw stories out of each other and really just do comics. Well, and I'll say this with that too. Uh, this also functions as a standalone issue very, very well. Oh, certainly. So if you just want to see an example of glorious writing and amazing art, pick this up. Batman 62. It's a thing. Um, yep. Batman 62. Available at your local comic shop. Beep, beep, beep. Um, <laughs> I finished Batman King of Fear. Um, okay. Did it finish as strong as uh, the last issue? No. Um, <laughs> womp, womp. Womp, womp. Um, I will say this. The penalty. Whatever that word, because I learned that word in a series Pen- of unfortunate Pen- events recently. Um, Penultimate, <laughs> right? <laughs> um, but the next to last issue in Batman King of Fear was worth reading it, but you can also just read that issue. Um, uh, Nightwing is finishing up its first arc after the whole Rick Grayson thing. Um, and. I, I still don't know what to do with that. It just bothers me. I'm sorry. Yeah. What the Rick. <laughs> R.I.C. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, here's the thing. I'm at the point where uh, I've read this first six issues and um, I don't regret it. I enjoyed the experience. But if they don't hit a new direction real fast, I'm out. Um, the if, if you've been reading it or just familiar, basically Rick... Rick Grayson, I can't even say that right. Rick Grayson gets shot in the head in Batman 50 something. One? No. Sounds right. It's somewhere around. To the internet. Yeah, it's somewhere in the 50s. Um, But Rick Grayson gets shot in the head and uh, loses his memory and gets it back, sort of. But he doesn't want to be Nightwing anymore or acknowledge who Richard. Dick, I can't do it. Dick Grayson was. Um, <laughs> and so he quits being Nightwing. He's just a cab driver now. Um, and local cops find his burned down secret hideout 
and decide to take all of his costumes and become Nightwing. And so there is a team of like four or five cops of appropriately varied genders and races. Um, <laughs> Well-balanced and represented. Way to go, DC. Yeah. I'm like, look, Vincent, <laughs> there's a Nightwing like you. Um, we can all... <laughs> um, but I bet there's literally... there's it's It just seems almost like a marketing ploy. It feels like the Shazam family, but for oh, Nightwing. No. Um, and the book ends, you know, basically with that whole, how that whole, if you picture a whole bunch of cops dressing like Nightwing and fighting together, how do you think that's going to turn out? And it goes there. Um, Oops. Um, but it, it, it was a solid read. Now, here's the thing, though, with what the, with the deconstruction of Dick Grayson and Scott Lobdell writing this, if they don't bring Dick Grayson and Re- Jason Todd together for something in the future where they actually work together. Because I can tell you this, this Dick Grayson, this Richard Grayson and Jason Todd would make the best buddy anti-hero book in the world. All right. So we're either calling that one right now and we will be brilliant or DC, you can send those checks to <laughs> care of love thy nerd. Um, but no, really, I meant like, You've got the same guy writing both of these characters who both in the past year have been deconstructed from who they were being reimagined. And if you don't bring these reimagined together by the same writer, I'm just disappointed in you. Um, so that's a thing I'm reading that I'm. Yeah, you, you heard it here, folks. I have feelings about um, reading a still finish about to finish up Marvel Knights 20th. Um <sighs> I felt like it started off with really good traction and it's losing steam, but it's still worth reading. Um, that was, that's fun. Um, there was a new attack on Titan recently. Um, ish that I've read in this little window. Um, I care a little bit more than I did. And the other thing that I'm really, uh, enjoying is, um, daredevil man without fear. Um, yeah, so that's still sitting next to my chair. It's the only thing I didn't get to. So I've heard a bunch of, uh, initially with Marvel minis like that, that connect to basically the relaunch of a series. Um, comic shops and retailers are like, okay, so this is the Marvel money filler, so nobody's going to care. But I've heard a lot of people come back and say, no, this is actually pretty good. So I, I am interested in, in your thoughts, and I hope to jam that in my brain sooner rather than later so i can say something intelligent about it but and not to put a lot of focus on it or any details but um if you read the previous daredevil arc um uh, it was called the death of daredevil right or somewhere in there mm-hmm. yeah um, yeah basically yeah uh it it doesn't le- it doesn't ignore that it plays directly off of it and uh it's a bit a month now um daredevil didn't die die he uh was gravely injured and has given up the idea of ever being daredevil again. Um, and, uh, it's him in and out of a coma and in and out of consciousness with, um, fighting a physical, a daredevil manifestation of fear. Um, where he's dealing with his own issues, but each issue is going to balance around a different person in Daredevil's life coming to visit him in the hospital. Oh, interesting. So I mean, it's it it's been kind of explored in Murdoch's past, but at the same time, I, I like this concept of him fighting against himself in theory to potentially come out the other end as whatever the new iteration is going to be. Yeah. And so, like, the first issue was foggy. I'm not going to mention who the second issue is because it's pretty much a spoiler. It's a Rickroll spoiler. Um, but I, I wonder who it could be. Um, <laughs> but I, I, I've really enjoyed it. So um, I was really not thinking that was going to be great, but it surprised me. And Immortal Hulk in Hell is pretty great. <laughs> um, like, Hulk is straight up in Hell battling some evil and stuff with his own things and enjoying that. So that's me. Yeah. So, so for everyone that, that wasn't expecting a Hulk book to become a zombie book, which I say cautiously, but sort of kind of, um, slash kind of creepy slash kind of horror ish slash weird. It's a where zombie book. 
Yeah. So, okay. Well, there you go. Um, that I, I initially picked it up and I read a few and I was like, okay, I'm still just not there, but too many people have been talking about where it ended up and that some of the best work coming out of Marvel right now is Immortal Hulk that, and there you have it folks that, um, if you enjoy the Hulk in any way, shape or form, this is definitely an interesting take, especially with this concept of the where slash undead slash now, now he's fighting things in hell that banners just had a rough roll of things. <laughs> but in, in general, banner can die. Hulk cannot. So even if banner dies during the day, Hulk comes back at night. Hulk is the night's time. And they're fighting the evil force that try. I mean, it's 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 great, but if, he's working that extra third shift every day. Yeah, if nothing else, dude, the book is worth reading for the simple fact that Hulk punches uh, T'Challa so hard he breaks vibranium, and he what? And he cracks Thor's skull. Doesn't kill him, but he cracks scores Thor's skull with a single punch strongest avenger yes <laughs> yes i got that call back in worth it um let's see i'm trying to think if i read anything different because the last two weeks weren't like super heavy firefly was in there um, wasn't it or did we already cover that i think we, we covered that so that was a few weeks ago um we should be seeing the next one soon ish um which is good um let's see we did see the return of captain marvel this week um in a, in a new ongoing, they did kind of had they had the life of Captain Marvel, which preceded it, which is kind of a mini that was trying to, they retconned a bit of her um, origin, origin with her, her mother there, which was kind of interesting. But this new book kind of just dives straight back into Carol's going to work, but she's going to work with a bunch of her closest friends. Um, Spider-Woman's there. Um, let's see, Rhodey um, is back. And she talks with Tony. So I, the the only thing I had with Captain Marvel being back, and I, I enjoy the Captain Marvel property, and I'm glad a movie's coming. I, I just feel like they haven't been giving her a fair shake in the books. And this one kind of bummed me, unfortunately, mm. because it, it opened with Captain Marvel and Spider-Woman in the first panel. I'm like, I, I thought this was a solo. It, it's going to be a team book. It And if it's not a team book, I'm not sure why they made the first issue feel like this is going to be a team book. So if I have any complaints, that's it's it. It's the but brave and the Marvel bold. Sort of. And spoilers, not spoilers. They throw her into another dimension. And I was like, you know what, Marvel get, give Carol a break, let her chill with her cat, hanging out with the alpha flight and maybe just repelling some aliens every now and then, which but by the way, you get some solid captain Marvel in immortal Hulk. Ooh, well that's good. Then see, I'm going to go back. <laughs> um, so, so Captain Marvel is back. Um, there, there's a lot of good characters that are being involved there, so I don't think people will be ultimately disappointed. I just, I want a good Carol Danvers story, and I, I guess Marvel doesn't want to go that way right now, which is fine. Um, friendly neighborhood Spider-Man making the 40 billionth spider book on the market right now also <laughs> came out um, this week. Um, this again, is the Spider-Verse. Right, slightly reimagining the edge of early Peter Parker again. If you didn't think it was possible to revisit Peter Parker's time in high school for the 70th time, you were wrong. But you wait, can. there's more. Um, <laughs> but to be completely fair, um, for folks that are looking for a pretty middle-of-the-road jumping on point for Spider-Man, like you know stuff about Spider-Man, you know everybody in the world is talking about Into the Spider-Verse, it's not a bad jumping on point. It's it's pretty it's pretty vanilla. The art is really good. Um, Bro, definitely, you're never going to sell me with anything by stating that it's pretty vanilla. <laughs> <laughs> I know, right? But at this, I say that more so from the perspective of it fits firmly in an all ages area where some of the spider books can tend to lean a little more teen. Um, this book is sitting pretty firmly in the, you can go pretty younger with this book, but it also not be like super kiddie. And that's like a huge issue with a lot of comics right now is there's not a lot of good kid content. So I'm not sure if that was the goal. If it was the goal, then they, they did nail it. It's a real solid, um, spot that you can get some younger kids in and even hit the middle teens too. It was a fun read just as a Peter Parker spider book. Um, 
Oh, see, I the book that I did enjoy and is kind of my guilty pleasure, I suppose, for right now, um, is Oblivion Song. Um, the Kirkman. So, okay. Yep, Robert Kirkman. Um, Robert Kirkman's not a zombie book. Um, That's just really what they should call it. <laughs> I know, right? Um, it is a weird-ish people surviving against strange occurrences Robert Kirkman book, but, um, but looking it's a neat concept. Right. It's, it's an interesting issue of Oblivion Song is about this scientist that has found out that there are parallel universes that are actually connected to us through sonic vibrations. So they're literally there, but it's, it's a resonance that separates us. And he creates a device that figures out how to shift those two things. And kind of spoilerly, but I want to set this piece up, that you get dumped into a world where there's literally this crater in the middle. Um, it's Pittsburgh or Philly. So I'm sorry, Pennsylvania. Either way, you lost on this one. You um, that giant crater, and they call it, you know, there was this incident because literally this crater and everything in it disappeared. Well, you kind of find out that it's the scientist that's been tinkering with the, the, the shifting thing. And that that city block got dumped in this other parallel universe. And he's been trying to go back and forth and figure out how to, you know, make it right. Cause he literally kind of evaporated a city block worth of people. Um, and it's been that sci-fi journey of what's in that other place, people that have survived and then kind of what's occurred. So it, it's not zombie apocalypse, but there's weird monsters and, and human beings are still pretty terrible. So maybe yeah. it is kind of Robert Kirkman, but um, it's been fun. Could this be it's, what caused the zombie apocalypse? Ooh. Right? Some people have joked about some of that, you know, is he's going to connect that all somewhere eventually. And then he's just going to say, haha, just kidding. Um, so yeah, so nothing super crazy. Um, so that probably puts us to the point of the main event, why folks have come to us today is to talk about the things that truly excited us in 2018 that we wanted to give everybody kind of a couple considerations from both of us of some of our top books from the big two, so DC and Marvel, and then a handful of books that kind of crossed the gamut of other independents, and then try to narrow things down to our favorite issues so you can all run off and find some really good stuff to read and just add to your shelf and join us in the conversations online and all the cool stuff about, you know, what you guys read. Um, so Hector, uh, I'm think I'm going to give my gravelly voice a short break and let you hit me with your top three DC. All right. My top three DC out the gates and surprised there'll be some Batman in here, but I tried to not make this all about Batman, but realistically speaking, 2018 was the year of Batman. Um, it was the year of the bat. It was the year of good Batman books from Dark Knight Metal or from Batman Metal and on down. But um, here's my top three DC. And we're not just going to do general books per se as much as arcs, um, which are usually like a six issue story. Some will be all books, but just rolling with it. Um, my favorite top DC book of 2018 uh, story arc included is a two issue uh, arc from Tom King surprise um called eternal vow and it is batman and wonder woman uh leading up to the not wedding <coughs> leading up to the not wedding where uh they are stranded in a hellscape fighting off the sins of mankind which is a great premise on its own and they're stuck there for 37 years alone while they're both committed to someone else and it's a two issue arc that focuses on integrity and faithfulness and character. And um, there's a moment where Batman and Wonder Woman almost hook up. Um, and Wonder Woman turns around and says, uh, we're people of integrity. You're committed to someone. And if you even look at me like that again, I'll shove your bad ears up your butt almost verbatim. Uh, so yeah, it was pretty, it was pretty literal. Yeah. And, um, but that was like, that was one of my favorite moments. And um, I talked to Tom King this summer when I was at a show with him and told him that that was my favorite arc he's done. He says everyone else has hated it. But I went on to tell him how much uh, that it meant to me. It meant, it meant, one of the reasons I liked it so much is it meant a ton to my 10 year old daughter. 
um, mm. because she reads a lot of the books I read with supervision and she was legitimately worried that Batman and Wonder Woman were going to cheat on their significant others. Like she legit had issues and where she was pretty heartbroken over it. So to see a, a story focused on character was dope. Um, I'll go with Mr. Miracle, the whole thing um, for reasons we've already mentioned. Um, all of them, all of them, the art, the story, the fact I'm, I'm really, I, I like to write. I'm a good storyteller. I see stories like most people see them or like Neo sees the matrix. Like by the intro of the movie, I can probably tell you how it's going to end. I mean, that's normally me. I ruin movies for my wife. She hates watching anything with me. Um, the fact that I could read this and not tell you where it's exactly going. Every issue I loved. Um, the fact I read the whole thing and I still don't know if I can tell you exactly what happened. Um <laughs> I'm pretty sure the only thing we were supposed to take away from that is always bring a veggie tray. Always bring a veggie tray. But there was tons of Stan Lee jokes in a DC book pre his death because DC wasn't, you know, milking that. They were doing it ahead of time. Um, But it was a story about the value of life. And there were some serious spiritual questions asked. And the art was mind bending. And I loved it. Um, I'm legit waiting. The hardback comes out in the heart back comes out in February um, and, or the, the trade paper, one or the other, uh, a, fi- a large physical version of the entire story comes out and I'm looking forward to buying that. Um, and then the other would be Batman white Knight. for me. Um, it was the entire story was worth it for the second issue, um, which uh, basically the whole premise was that Joker uh, has gone straight. Um, he's developed, uh, psychiatric drugs that help him be in control of himself. Um, but it introduces a whole uh, concept that somewhere in the depths of the DC universe, Harley's tag teamed out. And that the Harley we saw in Batman the Animated Series was the OG Harley. And then when she left over Jason Todd, uh, another psychiatric psychiatrically unstable woman in clown paint took her pace in the place and the Joker never noticed (laughs) way to go. Um, but it was a fantastic story. Um, of it it legit had solid love. It had good thing, but we see Batman go off the deep end and Joker is the hero of the story. Um, my other favorite thing about it is the simple fact it, it felt and I don't know if it's 100% canon, but it took place in the Batman the Animated Series world. Um, mm. Like, there were specific references all throughout the story to Batman the Animated Series. Um, like Baby Doll, um, Veronica Freeland, things like that. Uh, Harvey Bullock, the way we know Harvey Bullock, but it also brought characters like Duke into the Batman the Animated Series world. So... If you're a fan of Batman the Animated Series, which you should be, um, this was a great DC book. So that was those are my top three DC. All right. So for my three, we sh- we shared uh, a bit there. Mister Miracle was obviously at the top of my list, and you know you you've all heard us talk ad nauseum about Tom King's epic, and just as we said, is it, it's, it's just amazing that we were guessing issue to issue. Um, I also just loved how they pulled Big Barda to like front and center. Um, yes. Big Barda doesn't always get all of the love in in fourth world type stuff, and you cannot read that run and not have a huge amount of respect for who Big Barda is and how she cares about people, which I thought was really freaking cool. Um, it and just the the play off from her and and Scott Free and Mr. Miracle, you know, the back and forth was just it was life, but it was also life and they're really weird. They're both gods functioning in the fourth world universe of DC comics. Um that's why I said, you know, always bring a veggie tray. You, you'll appreciate that once you read it. Um that it's the monotony it's like the show, of life this is us. It's that show this is <laughs> us but in apocalypse. <laughs> With a little bit of baby dark side. So, yes. you know, it, um, 
so for my bat arc of the year, because yes, it was the year of the bat, especially at DC. Um, Cold Days was actually my favorite, which is actually what we talked about in our first episode. Um, was that issue of Bruce Wayne being on the jury for a um, Mr. Freeze trial and just that internal figuring out who Bruce is because he's coming off from the failure of the wedding. Um, things are kind of falling apart around him. He's, I mean, he's still now even multiple issues later um, trying to figure out who 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 he is and it's just really amazing uh to me it's the most it's the <sighs> least batman batman book but still great right because it, it got into his humanity and also him really starting to come to terms with a lot of stuff's happened in my tom king life and that's not even an understatement at this point <laughs> um but this is also the arc where the entire world assumed that bruce wayne proclaimed himself an atheist. And that's why we talked about that in the first episode of did he though? Yeah. <laughs> that it's just, a, it's a great discussion. You can go back and listen to our first episode. If you want to hear the really in-depth piece of that, but we can't say enough about cold days. Cause it, it was just a really great set piece in the middle of this, of Bruce just dealing with life, but also dealing with life as a vigilante superhero, which is just pretty cool. So my other fave, um, for DC is it's, I'm, I'm going to go ahead and talk a little bit about metal because I think it has to um, that the concept of metal as an event, Scott Snyder brought this to us is these nightmarish versions of Batman from the evil parts of the multiverse um, through the Batman who laughs, which is literally a Bruce Wayne slash Joker envisionment comes into the DC universe proper, trying to basically collapse the multiverse into the darkness, if you will. And they just gave us some really cool character points of all these literal embodiments of the things that just freak Bruce Wayne out. Um, and through these dark nights, we get to see these images of other justice leaguers literally embodying the things that Bruce fears most. And it's a neat play Right, because Batman forms the Justice League, but he forms them still realizing that most of them are more powerful than him, and that he ultimately is scared by this. So it's it's interesting that they finally pull that back into the story of these are the things that truly freak Bruce out, and it you know, was just a wild that way. Yeah, I just kind of hit there of that duh. Um, Batman formed the Justice League fully knowing that he was forming a group that was more powerful than just himself. Um, and that's why he also created the protocols to be able to eventually attempt to defeat them in the off chance that, you know, especially Superman, he's like, that's an alien and he can literally destroy us all. Um, Bruce wanted to have a handle of that. So technically his worst nightmare would be the inverse of the Justice League becoming evil and having his knowledge. So it's actually a really cool metaphor for just his fear in general, but they cover a ton of ground in metal. Um, and it really has become the next major event in the rebirth universe. So you can read most of the pieces of that in collections now. Yeah. So that's a, that's a great recommendation from DC because you'll have a ton of fun just seeing some of your favorite justice leaguers in really twisted, um, things like red death is really neat. Dawnbreaker. It, there, it's a it's a neat read. The, I mean, that's the thing. I, I felt like parts of it didn't work on a whole, but right. there no, was, that's fair. <clears throat> there were so many pieces that worked on their own that it's worth the whole experience. Um, the the Aquaman one and uh, what was that? Bryce Wayne. <laughs> she was. You're dope. right. She was dope. Um, so I enjoyed, you know, a lot of those. It it was worth the experience, even if it, you know, did have some low points. I, I don't even say if they're low points; they're just confusing points. Um, it it got a in some of the crossovers is where it got a little lost. The one shots that gave us 
the images of all the dark versions, I think, helped. The main line was really weird, but I think they finally, the end finally got us to understand that, yeah, the Batman Who Laughs is the puppet master here trying to literally pull the dark universe together and destroy the multiverse. Okay, got it. We know who the bad guy is. We know what he's trying to accomplish, but it was a little weird getting there. If if you just read the ones that are just the pictures of each character, the pictures of each character, it comes off like a uh, Elseworlds tale, and it works fine. So, but yeah, there's that. So we on Marvel? Yeah, let's cross the aisle to Marvel. All right. So first up for me, I'll put on my Marvel list is Domino. Um, Gail Simone's Domino, which I think was originally only going to be a six issue arc and has continued um, for a, a expanded run. Uh, it was one of those things that they dropped this book intentionally uh, right around Deadpool 2 when Domino yep. was, uh, you know, going to become a big screen icon for a little bit. And uh, it worked. <laughs> um, I picked the book up just because of the movie and the simple fact that Gail Simone was writing it. And it's turned out to be one of my favorite books in general and it's my favorite marvel book but it's a buddy story uh with nina domino uh and her gal pals being mercenaries and it's got a lot of heart it's got a lot of uh self-awareness and it just covers so much ground emotionally um i like to do a thing each week where i take pictures of my favorite panels from books and um, just share them. And I can look back and say, like, there's a lot of domino pictures when I look back on this year's stuff that really stood out to me. Um, Yeah. If you haven't figured it out by now, Hector has mentioned pretty much every domino book in every episode. So this should come to no (laughs) surprise to our loyal fan base, but it's well-founded. It's a, it's Gail has done a great job. I'm glad that they decided to extend it beyond the initial run that yes, it, it was supposed to be the mini and they're like, no, this, this is selling really well. It's really good. So why stop? I, I'm just grateful for the Domino book in general. So that's been my favorite Marvel piece. Um, my second favorite uh, of the year was Dr. Strange Damnation, which I think it's the first time I picked up a Dr. Strange book or a book that even remotely focused on Dr. Strange since the new, the secret Avengers after civil war. Yeah, Doctor Strange has not been on my list for a while either. My, it is on my list too, but I'll let you finish. Um, and that was a Kate's book, right? Uh, I picked it up starting with Kate's, but you're you're specifically talking about Damnation, right? Which definitely yeah. was Kate's. That was his first yeah. kind of event in Doctor Strange. Yeah, and that's and that's the thing that kind of put me onto Kate's writing in general. But um, the idea of Doctor Strange battling. Or that the first thing he does is screw things up and literally brings hell on earth and then has to deal with it. And, um, you know, getting to see Mephisto, um, you know, play the devil and do all those things. It was just a really fun issue seeing, you know, Marvel turn Satan into a vaudeville character um, in a lot of ways and seeing how that was battled by everyone else and just seeing the Avengers get handed their own butts and have to bring in the the Avengers that were spiritually dead. So I was like, Oh, I just like where this is going. Let's, let's talk about this. So um, that was my second favorite uh, Marvel book. And then in general, immortal Hulk. And for reasons we've already previously mentioned uh, it's, it's a story I can't predict per se. It's a story that doesn't seem beaten to death. And it's the first time we've seen Hulk like this and the people that Hulk associates like this. And uh, it's, it's one of the most original and vibrant Hulk stories I've read. And I look forward to it's taken some weird turns and it's gone places that I ne- I wouldn't have necessarily wanted to go as a story or, you know, but I don't think there's been a moment where I've been like, okay, should I keep reading this? It's been a steady, this is going to happen. So those are my top three, Marvel. What about you? So I shared with you in Domino, like I mentioned before. So I guess for all of our folks listening, because we compiled our list before and then only kind of cross-referenced, so that's why we have some overlap, is obviously Mr. Miracle and Domino apparently are the two top, top winners because those are the two that we pulled out of the ether kind of independently. Um 
but yeah, Gail's just been nailing Domino. Um, it's a great book. It's a great read um, for all the reasons we've been discussing. So you definitely want to pick that up. But my other two, um, I've been talking a lot about Daredevil um, throughout this podcast. And I'm going to go back to the arc that I talked a lot about before, which is called Daredevil Supreme, which literally is issues 21 through 25, where we get to take Matt Murdock to Washington. So it's, it's still to me, one of the most like Marvel comics, comic type things going on where Matt Murdock finally gets to argue a case in front of the Supreme court. Um, it's a superhero case. It's about con- superheroes being able to conceal their identities, but still give testimony, eyewitness testimony. So it's, it's literally a super deep discussion on g- going to the Supreme court and arguing cases and everything. But is still a daredevil story and it's the concept of being able to arm vigilantes to not have to necessarily beat the crap out of people, but be able to still lock up um, people by witnessing things. Which one of my favorite things about that story when it played out was that story uh, played out as one of the key points of the end of the death of daredevil. Um, Like that the daredevil Supreme, like, was reverted back to that and almost the climax of the death of daredevil book that they said, because of this, this issue happened. Um, it was really neat. Yeah, no, it was super good. And I, I just like big set pieces like that. It's, it felt like real 1970s Stan Lee, um, Marvel of it. It's a thing that's in our real world. It's Murdoch's a lawyer and he's going to argue a case and he gets to go all the way to the Supreme court, him and his law school buddy, foggy, really finally get to do the thing and Matt gets the band back together because him and Foggy have been on the rocks and they go and they get to argue in front of the Supreme Court. So it was just fun for me and I'm I'm unapologetic about being real nerdy about court cases in the middle of a superhero book. But you know, um <laughs> to round out my Marvel choices though, I actually enjoyed uh where Donnie Cates picked up just before Damnation, which kind of set up Damnation as a thing. So his first outing with Doctor Strange was in 381 through 385, where Doctor Strange is no longer the Sorcerer Supreme. Loki has conned his way into the mantle. So So wait, wait, you have a double Supreme? Yeah, yeah no. There can only be one. And that's No no no. You you had Daredevil Supreme uh, and uh, No. No. <laughs> supreme xl (laughs) fine everybody gets one um so we find stephen strange you know still living in his joint and everything but he doesn't have any power and he's working at a veterinary hospital because that's that's what that's the work he can find without a medical license um and Donnie just weaves this really twisted story of Steven trying to figure out how basically to trick Loki, the god of mischief, into giving up the power again. Because Loki conned his way in because he's trying to access part of Steven's house, which unlocks some incredibly dangerous power. And Steven has locked it through a particular spell And it's driving Loki absolutely insane because he can't figure it out. And even being Sorcerer Supreme, he can't magic his way around this lock. Um, And the story just kind of plays out. But there's a lot of really neat interactions in it. Um, I think there, if I recall, there is there is a Spider-Man joke in there because Steven's just like, no, no, go away. (laughs) (laughs) It's it's kind of one of those things, you know, like Spidey's like looking through the door. It's like, I know you're there. And he's like, turn off the lights hide under the table. I don't want to deal with Peter today. Um, I remember that. Yeah, it's, yeah, it was really funny. And so it it hit the top of my thing because Donnie did a lot of really great things um, this year. And, you know, he's Marvel's boy right now and doing a ton of things. But that Donnie Casey is so hot. Right he's now. so hot right now. Um, <laughs> unbelievably hot. Um, so I just really enjoyed his first arcs where he did um, his first arc in Thanos, Thanos Wins, was really good as well. But the Doctor Strange one just kind of stood out because it made Stephen Strange feel real kind of normal and mm. really normal in the middle of an impossible world where it shouldn't be. And we got to see Loki for like a few issues and really messed up this. So it was really That's good. It's the same thing that made Mr. Miracle. Oh, yeah. No, it, it was a real down to earth kind of thing. And there is a pivotal moment in there. Um, that's really depressing and then suddenly becomes really funny. Um, so I'm not going to give that one away because you need to read it and you can come back and be cough, like, cough, John Wick. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> yeah. <clears throat> <clears throat> <clears throat> <clears throat> <clears throat> 
shouldn't have done that. Um, but yeah, so uh, I just realized that's exactly what happened. Okay, go ahead. You got it. <laughs> um, so you need to read that arc now, and you can appreciate that joke a little later. But I've never seen John Wick, by the way. But go on. Yeah, I'm actually the same, but I do understand the concept of you don't mess with that dude's dog. So, and I guess we just have to sit down and watch like all the John Wicks or something and catch up our nerd cred or something. Oh, do I don't we? Know. Yeah, do um. we though? <laughs> so. So to close this out for 2018, uh, let's do some some quick fires on the independents that really stood out for you. So what were a couple quick independents that people should pick up a trade or and uh, what's that one coveted issue that you had for the year for the year? So um, my three of the not big two were first off um, my hero academia volume 11. Which, uh, for those of you who just watched the cartoon, um, you'll recognize this as well because it was in this past season. Um, which My Hero Academia has Game of Thrones itself into the <laughs> fact that the show has caught up to the books. And uh, so, you know, struggle bus. Um, but My Hero Academia Volume 11 is the All Might versus uh, All for One fight. Um, and the deconstruction of All Might that ends with him pointing to Azuka Midoriya and saying, now it's your turn, which is an iconic thing now. Like um, it came out like last February. And like, I remember sitting in my bedroom flipping through this manga and you get to the United States of smash. And I'm like, I remember like, I got goosebumps now just even thinking about that one panel. Um, And uh, just seeing that now it's your turn thing. And uh I just remember being pretty rocked reading that. Uh, obviously, now that it's animated and you can hear Chris Sabat's voice say it and everything, it's even more powerful. But there was it was a power. It was a point that I remember turning a page and being shook. Mm. Um, so there's that. Um, my big, big independent, and uh, I'd say probably my favorite collected story for the whole year um, uh, is Judas. Oh, why you do that to me? Okay, Sorry. so there are three. There are three things that you definitely have to pick up because, yeah, I'll, I'm, we'll share in this because I was going to say that that's my favorite overall. Um, it's <laughs> yeah, no, dead serious. And see, see, this is why we did this independently, so the magic of podcasting could come together, and you could see. No, Chris, Chris and Hector didn't just plan this. No, no, we're giving it to you real folks. This is some real talk right here. So we need to talk about Judas because, yep, absolutely. Um, but just a four issue story arc of following Judas after his suicide into hell, uh, confronting Satan and confronting Jesus and what that looks like in the scape of eternity and Judas coming to terms with who he will be in the narrative of history. Um, I legit uh, bought it digitally originally because I was in a boring staff meeting Um, and and I wanted something to read. And literally uh, one of the other pastors I work with looks over and I'm weeping in the middle of our staff meeting, looking at my phone and like, they thought like someone had died and I'm like, Oh, it's just this comic. Um, (laughs) It's just this comic. It's really, it's just this comic. So good. Um, but no, it's it literally I can say this. I can't say this about many books. This was a life changing book um, for me uh, as a person of faith, as a pastor, as a minister, as someone who's been into theology since I was 13. Um, this book, I don't obviously I'm not crediting it as being the Bible or anything or being the absolute truth, but it it helped flesh out my perspective about the death and sacrifice of Christ, the resurrection, it helped flesh out my perspective on that. The way that C.S. Lewis's The Last Battle fleshes out anyone's perspective on eschatology, big words. Yeah. Um, so that, wow, that was a big word for this podcast, but <laughs> um, it's so true. And I think it was one of the most amazing things about the thing that really struck me from Judas was it, it, it came from Boom Studios. I, I've been now, hear me when I say that, is that <laughs> Boom. <laughs> Boom has actually had an amazing year. Um, Firefly, though. Right? And But they've done a lot of really good kids' books. They have a lot... Like, their content is crossing all the age groups, all the different areas. And they went from kind of being middle-low IP-owning to they really had some hard-hitting stories. And this being one of 
obviously my top choices as well, that a couple artists put together this four issue mini on literally Judas's experiences in hell. And I just, I would have paid money to literally have seen the pitch to an editor on this one, <laughs> right? For a comic book company, no less. Of So I want to write about Judas Iscariot. Who? Y- you know, Judas from, from the Bible? From the Bible. Yeah, that one. He's in hell. What else you got? I, I mean, <laughs> it really is mind blowing. But the walk through the journey, because at first I looked at it and went, oh, this is this is going to be really preachy and not in the Christian way. Yeah, I thought it was going to be super sacrilegious and wounding. And then instead, I hit the end of each issue and went, nope, still here. And by the end of it, exactly the same thing of because Judas is like, yep, I'm in hell. Did the thing. Here I am. And Satan's like, cool. Welcome, buddy. So, you know, you were a pawn in God's game, right? Yeah. And Satan really just lays into him of you're just a tool, man. Because this, <laughs> this, this is the fail. This is the failure. God failed you, man. It, knowing who God is, He sent you here. Knowing that, how does that make you feel? And it's like I was like, wow, Satan's really kind of a punk. But we knew that. But um, man, it was such a good. You, right. you know what makes it more fun to read? Um, go back and read it with Al Pacino's voice from. <laughs> <laughs> I actually, that's, he's an absentee landlord, <laughs> right? <laughs> What? No. Um, um, but yeah, we're sorry. We're making light in the middle of this, but it it actually is incredibly hard hitting that issues of of real deep understanding of faith are brought forward here of that Satan brings forward the thing of you thought you had free will, but you didn't. Or did you? Yeah. Um, and Christ abandoned you. And but then we see the actions where Christ dies upon the cross and shows up in hell and he's like, hi. And Satan's like, oops. <laughs> Which if you're if you're hearing this and you're like, Jigga, what? There is right. a like a staunch 40 to 60 percent of Christian nominations that hold strongly to the concept that when Jesus died, the three days he was dead, he spent in hell. Um, so if that's if that's news to you or, you know, it's it's not a crazy outlandish theory. That's that's half of Christianity goes down that route, yep. at least. And it's um, that's and once again, a comic book is having this discussion. And that's why it really... from a not Christian studio, right? Um, what's what really great, dude? I picked up just this past week or so. I picked up the graphic novel of this, the complete four issue graphic novel. Yeah, it just um, came out a while ago. And the the thorns on the cover are gold inlay. Yep. Oh, it's so beautiful. But on the back, what was really got me is the fact you've got like Mike Mignola and all these comic book pros talking about how the book affected them. Dude, it was worth the price of admission to buy the graphic novel just to see that. Right. So I think you definitely figured out that Judas is both of our top picks. And we were not just saying that from our faith background, that we're we're honestly having this discussion from the perspective of, if you don't know where you land on any of these issues, this is worth reading because it tackles a lot of the really complicated discussion surrounding the core of a lot of the core tenets of Christianity and what actually leads people to these discussions. And so it's, it's a fascinating discussion. Again, we're not saying that it's necessarily 100% theologically accurate. It's certainly not scripture, but it is one of the, there is lots of scripture in it. Oh yes. (laughs) Um, You are going to find that it is very well grounded in what it's trying to tell as a story. Um, So no matter where you land, if you want to read a very interesting discussion on I mean, it's technically taking the discussions of the resurrection, but literally inverting it to the other guy, to Judas. And it's a fascinating discussion that, as far as I'm concerned, from art and from comic book telling in general, it's worth a read because it's it's deep, but it's also really creative. And I think just about anyone would pick it up and find something interesting or something to take away from it. I legit bought the graphic novel just so I can have in my backpack to, for conversations about, you know, check this out. Um, so beyond Judas, my other favorite non big two book was Dr. Horrible best friends forever. And you, you just went ju- from deep theological to Dr. Horrible. I did. Yeah. Um, just, just saying. And I'm not, I'm not even going to put a lot of discussion into it. It's just a simple, a simple one issue shot actually written by Joss Whedon. So it's canon follow up to Dr. Horrible where the issue opens up and Dr. Horrible and Captain Hammer are best friends and you're dealing with what in the world is going on. And it was super fun to read. So <laughs> um, I, I legit giggled through most of it and had a blast. Um, so those are my, what, what are your other 
non-big two. Right. So obviously after after Judas that we we gave the big reveal before the end of the show. Um, but that's okay. You should definitely read Judas. Um my other two um is going is Isola. Um I really felt was underappreciated by a lot of folks. It's an image book. It's a kind of a fantasy uh, story of man, how to even describe, but it, it's, it's a very fantasy based story, but it's about a queen that's going into hiding. She can shapeshift into animals and it's part of the lore. They kind of explain it. And um, her captain of the guard, if you will, who's kind of trying to ferry her to safety. She's been wounded. And the story is just really amazing. The art is mind-blowingly good. Um, I saw a ver- early pages of this at Comics Pro back in February, and it was amazing then. And the creators were just like, yeah, we just wanted it to be visually stunning, and it is. So if you want something that's kind of a fun fantasy read, but also is just visually stunning, Isola, the first volume of that has come out, so you can read the first arc um, in trade. And then my last one, you know, we've talked a lot about it and it's it's a strange one to offset with, but Unnatural has just been good. That, as we've said, it's very mature theme, but there's a lot going on in that book in terms of interaction. There's a lot that people can appreciate in terms of the struggle of that particular story. It's It's just wrapped in a very mature wrapper. But that said, where the book starts and where the book currently is, is not the same place. And that story is just kind of unfolding and is a neat story as well. So that kind of rounds out my issues. But I think like Hector and I have said here, Judas is what you need to take away from this year is that's that's a trade that just about everyone can pick up and enjoy. And we'd love for some of y'all to pick that up and read and, you know, jump in the community, talk about it and tell us what you think, Um, because there's just so much that can be discussed there. Any final thoughts, Hector? Just and you mentioned the arc, but my favorite single issue was uh Batman fifty three. Um, that was that literally. I I have about I have all the covers for it. Um, I plan to get it signed by everyone. Just Batman fifty three was great. It's the the back shot on my phone of uh the issue literally ended with Job one twenty through twenty one of Batman saying I need to remember who I am and then quoting scripture. So I was like. I do a happy dance every time I see that book. So that was my favorite 2018. And I'm, I'm really looking forward to where 2019 is going. Um, there looks like there's going to be some books and story arcs. And I'm waiting for that Nightwing Red Hood duo book by Scott Lobdell that he doesn't know he's writing yet to get on it. <laughs> right. Absolutely. And I mean, with Tom King really knocking it out of the park, starting with Batman 62, uh, Heroes in Crisis is underway. Um, we know that there are other summertime always brings events. So we know something is coming. So we'll see what the world of comics brings us in 2019. But I, I had to do the lame cop out and I read so much stuff that I didn't know if one issue really jumped, but Judas as a complete collection, just it, it really Jump. hit, it really hit me. So I, I had to say that that's, that's it for me, but hopefully we've given you all tons of stuff to read and kind of catch up on and think about. Um, but that's going to do it for us today. Episode seven here on the pull list podcast, Hector and I would honestly like to just thank all of you for coming on this journey with us. We know you have a choice of content to listen to. So, well, thanks. We appreciate you guys being here each and every time we put out an episode, but don't forget you can subscribe to this podcast, rate review, tell all of your friends about us. You should do that. Um, but also be part of our community. So you can look for us on lovethynerd.com. Or you can go to Facebook and search for Love Thy Nerd Community, and you can click join there, and you can jump in and have the conversation with us. We hang out there with a bunch of other really cool nerds, and we talk about all this crazy stuff kind of on a daily basis. So if hearing us every couple of weeks isn't enough for you, you can get this kind of love and enjoyment each and every, because technology is your friend, kids. Unless you're into that Black Mirror stuff, then you know maybe it's not your friend, but you've been warned. Um, maybe not, but we love you guys. <laughs> <laughs> what? <laughs> it's just time is a construct, right? It's just a construct. Don't worry about it. Um, what? Um, watch Bandersnatch, by the way. Really good. Um, so thanks for coming out and joining us on this ride. It's great to be part of Love Thy Nerd and be able to talk about faith and comics at the same time. We gave you a little bit about that today, but seriously, pick up Judas. But no matter what, go forth, do great things, everyone, and remember, read more comics. You've been listening to the Pull List Podcast. <laughs> <laughs>
with Chris Poirier and Hector Miron, part of the Love Thy Nerd podcast network. Be sure to rate and review the show and share on all the social media. Seven continents is a game of risk.